All right, so you are self-employed. You are, or you started a side hustle during the COVID year, or maybe you're just getting started uh, running your own business or taking off, or your business is making you a contractor. Anyways, one way or another, you're not T Ford anymore and you're running the show, running a business. And, you know, I mean, whether that's new to you or whether you've been self-employed for a while or whatnot, I think the biggest, um, one of the most demystifying or mystifying facts of getting a mortgage, getting financing just in general is actually the self-employed income qualification. So we literally spent this entire 25 minute episode breaking down everything about self-employed mortgages, hot tips, what you should look for, what the banks look for, what's changing, what's changed, and so much more. As always, if you're enjoying these episodes, make sure to let us know. We are the partners and owners of Thrive Mortgage Co., a mortgage firm focused on helping you as our clients have success, create wealth in real estate, and just look for the best lending guidelines and strategies available to you. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you're loving the show. So make sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Shout us out, send us a DM. You can find us on Instagram or anywhere else. And of course, enjoy the episode here all about self-employed lending. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, so you maybe last year started a side hustle, and you're thinking about uh, getting a mortgage here going forward in the future because you're doing so well from COVID and, and what happened. This is definitely, uh, definitely the episode for you that you want to listen to. So the boys and I are back together. We got the gang. It's been a long time. And, um, we're going to talk a little bit about setting yourself up for success, whether you're newly self-employed or you've been doing it for a while. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings and there's also a lot of changes that have happened in the last year as they consistently do. So, uh, we're going to rattle through, Everything from your year ends to gross versus net to different programs. We're just going to do a big overview here today. And, and then later on, we'll break them down in some other episodes and talk a little bit more about other options. So what do you say we dig into it? Hey, boys. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, we're not going to do a timed episode today per se, but we're definitely going to go get on some key points and walk through uh, some things that, that might be important. Not in any particular order per se. I think we start off, and, and this has come up, like I said, because we've had so many people, uh, this the year is 2021 right now, we've had so many people in the last three months reaching out, whether they uh, recently started a business in the last one and a half years, or their business has changed. And it's just, the dynamics are different right now, and especially with the COVID year, which is going to impact our businesses for years to come, a lot of banks are now declining people, and they don't understand why. So typically what happens is people either say, I just can't buy a home, or they will, you know, find someone like us, which is the best case scenario, because then we can actually guide you as to what to do. So why don't we just start off a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the basics here. And um, Dean, maybe you can lead us off. We'll talk for a second here just about the whole idea of gross versus net and what that actually means. If you're, you know, for a lot of people who are self-employed, they do, they do what they do for a living, but they're not accountants, they're not mortgage brokers. And so uh, any feedback on what does that actually mean to us? and why that should matter when we talk about gross income versus net income for a self-employed person? Yeah, it it makes a huge impact on what on how much income we can use for the application. So when we're plugging in all the all the data into your app, the net income is a is the amount that we're going to use for most cases for your your AAA mainstream lenders. The gross income is always always going to be a much bigger number. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of people that aren't too familiar with gross versus net 
get a little surprised, I would say, when they realize how little of income we can actually utilize for the application. And so looking at those two numbers are really important. Uh, gross income is going to be every dollar your company received in that calendar year. Net income is going to be the amount that you're paying taxes on. So after all your costs of materials, you know, payroll expenses, everything you pay for after that, what's left over is your net income. And this is where planning uh, is really important because, you know, at the end of a year, especially if it was a tough year, nobody wants to to hand over a bunch of money to the CRA. So, you know, a lot of times accountants will help people find ways to reduce that tax bill, which typically means reducing your net income, which is going to hinder your financing. So, um, you know, we talk about planning and, and we have a few tips to go through here, but talking to uh, whoever you're going to be working with for your financing ahead of time is really important, especially right now. Um, you know, most people are probably in on the verge or in the middle of of filing their taxes. And if you have plans of buying a house in the next year or two, you need to make sure that you're structuring your income properly. It's a really good point. We see a lot of really, really good accountants like every day. And that's like good, meaning they help you pay very little tax because they are really good at their job, but that can hurt you in financing. So that conversation with your financing advisor, your mortgage broker, and that accountant, and knowing what your plan is over the next one to two to three years is so key because if we can, you know, structure a little bit of a higher net income amount, that is really going to set you up for success. And just like you talk about good accountants, we also see some of the ones that maybe aren't as good. And I don't think it's as good for the reasons that that maybe we might traditionally think, saving taxes and so forth. Um, we're finding right now in particular, because a lot, of, a lot of self-employed people at this time of year in the spring are doing a lot of their taxes, are doing a lot of their planning. Um, we're also starting to see some of the uh, maybe not so good accountants and why you shouldn't try to cut corners when it comes to uh, finding a good account. I mean, you don't, you don't have to pay necessarily top dollar, but you definitely want to find someone reputable. A perfect example would that be, I'm working with a client right now who's been self-employed, moved, moved to Canada just over three and a half years ago, and he started his business immediately. Uh, now, three and a half years later, he's been he's been grinding to save as much money as he can and doing what, uh, what we talked him to do actually about two years ago here. And uh, his account lost all of his uh, his tax documents and is claiming that it wasn't his fault and he didn't know he would need these documents. So that would be a perfect excuse of what kind of accountant to avoid, which to be honest with you, I think at the end of the day, that's just having conversations with the people that you're working with when you're picking someone. Um, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent, different than gross versus net. But if we're talking about the accountant conversation, like definitely ask around, find someone who's reputable. Don't necessarily look for the cheapest as you probably will get someone like that who's going to lose your documents. And uh, any other thoughts on that, guys? Probably no, but it is a, a copy of your tax return. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good opportunity to kind of segue into the next topic of, of, you know, being caught up with your CRA. So, you know, the planning approach of gross versus net really correlates with being caught up on CRA, because if you're essentially claiming a lot of net income, you need to be prepared for a very large tax bill with CRA. And so having that plan is so key because, you know, a twenty, thirty thousand dollar tax bill year over year for three years, so you can get your financing at, you know, whatever bank that you're planning to work with, um, that could be very costly. And looking at those alternative options that we've talked about numerous times that we'll get into shortly here, you know, the other options, self-employed lenders, alternative lenders, that's where the tax strategy can really, really be a, yeah. a key conversation. 
And a big part of that too is like if you're claiming a bunch of income for 2020 to buy your house, as soon as you've filed and there's a $30,000 tax bill, that has to be paid before you close. The lender will not fund your mortgage if there's a huge lingering CRA bill. So if you're trying to calculate down payment and closing costs, take that into consideration. Yeah, on that note really quickly, I mean, that's a question we get all the time, which is like, can I can I get a mortgage if I have not paid my taxes for that year or the previous year? That's one question we get a lot. But the second question, which I'd love for uh, you guys can touch on this and we can dig in is, is uh, what if I owe taxes and I own a home, can I get qualified for a mortgage? What does that look like? So if I owe taxes and I'm trying to get qualified, can I consolidate that? Can I pay that out with my mortgage? So the answer is no with some lenders. You cannot use, like as an example, if we're doing a refinance and pulling equity out for the purpose of investing, buying another property, what have you, if there is CRA owing, mo a lot of banks will not allow you to use those proceeds from the refinance to pay CRA. So it, it, it does have to be done ahead of time. Now, there are some exceptions to that, of course, yeah. there are. So what you're referring to, of course, was conventional institutions. Yeah. We do work with lenders who uh, some people call B lending, alternate lending. Again, the cost is negligible. It's not a big difference in total cost. But there are these types of lenders that will consider paying them out or even private lenders. We've talked about short term private financing for the purposes of uh, paying it out and then putting you in a situation. And we would help some clients where we just had to put them into a private loan for, say, six months or three yeah. months or a short time or even just a 30 day period and and then transition them into a conventional lender so that's where that whole idea of private financing can make sense too Pr private finance is a good option but private financing can be costly with legal fees lender fees you know what have you for say a you know maybe a 20 30 day period uh interesting strategy we started to see with deposit loan financing is people are actually using that that idea of deposit loan financing to pay cra and then doing a refinance so then you're avoiding legal fees and larger lender fees so there's some strategies there to to save money, but it ultimately does come down to some sort of a private lending company to, to help you there. Basically yeah. taxes do need to be paid. It's just, how do you do it is the question mark and what does that look like? Yeah, right? there are some very one-off situations if it's a really strong application that a couple local credit unions can actually bend that rule. The banks are governed a little bit differently, but if you have a really strong application and it makes sense, we've seen a couple of credit unions actually help with CRA. Yeah, I think what that says to me is work with a mortgage broker that can work with multiple different institutions. Selfish yeah, plug there. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, it makes a difference. Um, so let's. Why don't we talk a little bit about um, uh, incorporation and does that impact what I can qualify for in a mortgage? Does it not? Uh, one of you gents noted this down, so if you want well, to kick it off. Yeah, I mean, we can all talk, touch on this one because it can be pretty in depth. Because you know, not so again, conventional lender. I'll speak to the conventional lender. If you're if you just incorporated say less than a year ago or less than two years ago, you are going to have a difficult time getting approved for financing with your typical conventional bank. They will want a full two-year tax history of your newly incorporated company. I think we should note one exception there is depending on the time of year, if you haven't filed, like for example, if you have not filed yet for 2020, if you've just recently become incorporated, it is possible to consider the looking at your previous couple of years. But again, once you file your taxes and you are now paying yourself as a corp, uh, again, things change. And that's where we need to look at different types of lending options. Yeah. I mean, people incorporate for a few different reasons, right? It's usually uh, liability and then there is tax sheltering within your corporation. So if you're earning more than enough income like you don't actually need to you're, if you're earning more than you need to live incorporating is a very good idea because you can leave the excess funds within the corporation yeah but this is something that bites people again at tax time because you now have this you know this other 
uh, incorporated asset where you can leave the funds if you don't need it. Right. Um, so if it only, you know, if Alex is living off $50,000 a year, uh, and that's all he draws out, that's what he's going to be paying personal tax on. And that's what the lenders are going to be using to qualify. So we see a lot of people that make a ton of money, but they just leave it all in their corporation and that can cause issues for financing as well. So it's the same concept of gross and net and just making sure that, you know, your personal income is staying at a reasonable level. Yeah. And just back to, you know, having the requirement to have two years history being incorporated, that isn't the case with all lenders. So, you know, we get that a lot, whereas people are sole proprietor for, you know, a number of years they are contemplating going uh, incorporated and, you know, trying to plan that with bank financing and what have you. So there are options, you know, back to the self-employed lenders, the B lenders, those alternative type lenders you don't need to have the two-year history. And it really does come down to the story, right? So like a lot of times the bank might just see a tax document and and it doesn't line up because it was sole proprietor and now it's a dividend. Um, And they might just say no, right? But we've also had success in building a story and explaining why you incorporated and showing them proof that it is the exact same business and nothing has changed, right? And there are exceptions that can be made. So that's a good point. If your banker or broker isn't asking those questions, Talk to us. <laughs> one, one of uh, being incorporated. So individuals that are say recently incorporated, I get this a lot where they're, they have a hard time understanding why there's all these additional documents requested. So mm-hmm. when you're incorporated, you know, the, the bank's looking for financial statements for that company. Like that, when you're incorporated, you, that company is now looked at as another person, another entity. So there are documentation that is specific to that incorporated entity. And so that comes up quite a bit where there, you know, a lot, there can be confusion. So just be prepared when you are incorporated, there are more docs going to be required. And that's why a clear communication line with the, the broker, the financing advisor and the, and the accountant is so key because they can take yeah. care of that. And regarding the financial statements, I mean, someone could claim a ton of personal income, but the lender could look at the financial statements from the company. And if it's running a massive deficit, if there's a huge loss, they could decline the file because the financial statements of the company where you're drawing your income don't actually support. That's like so key. Like that yeah. is so yeah. How key. is the, yeah. what's the health of the whole company? Yeah. And, that, and that moves us into the whole concept of averaging and what does that look like? I mean, so uh, again, a lot of people get the understanding or at least a basic understanding of an average income. Typically a lender wants to see a two year average of someone's income to see how their business is doing year over year. Obviously COVID's made that pretty interesting and there's some options we'll talk about here as far as recent releases in the in the um, the public eye but generally speaking i mean a, a, a lender wants to see your bis- your business is either consistently doing well similar or growing um now if we're starting to see our lenders starting to look at a year-over-year decline and let's say for example you claimed a hundred thousand one year and fifty thousand dollars the next year they're more than likely going to use the fifty thousand they're not going to average the two of those because that is a fifty percent drop in your overall income that's a very dramatic uh drop there uh whereas there are certain lenders let's say for example in that a scenario where it was one hundred thousand and ninety thousand some lenders will consider a declining average so they'll take the difference between the two and say use 95 so you're average of your income is very important and so again talking about that tax planning year over year couldn't be more important to consider just generally speaking and and how you're paying yourself yeah and on the flip side to that if you had a really really low year in say 2019 and then 2020 was you know 10 times the amount of income some lenders won't use the average because they think it's unrealistic they're wondering like did you just have a good year for some you know a one-off reason so you need to make sure that if you have a very very low year 
we understand why, right? Like I have a client that bought a ton of equipment in 2019. So his personal income was actually really low, but because we explained that to the lender, they were willing to use an average. Yeah. We've seen that with like, you know, there's been a lot of industries that that had a hard go with COVID, Mm. but there has been some industries that absolutely boomed because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And we've seen massive increases just because of COVID. So we have started to see some scrutiny from lenders where saying like, Hey, is this, did you do this well just because of COVID? And, and, and is that sustainable going forward? Yeah, interestingly enough, so so just let's talk a little bit about that and, and the COVID mix. We can't hide from that because for someone who's self-employed, this is going to impact you in 2021, 2022, and 2023. So you got two to three more years where this is going to make a difference. Uh, a personal example of someone where uh, they were an RMT. So in this case, they were contracted, technically still self-employed uh, in the eyes of a lender from that perspective, right? Because they file their own taxes. And uh, this individual claimed uh, $50,000 of income uh, or received $50,000 of income in the year. 2020 when previous years were around um you know one hundred thousand dollars and the reason that they gave us was well covid took away two to three years and uh sorry two to three months of their income plus their kids were home for quite a bit so they had some trouble managing the work schedule which is an absolutely fair point however the lenders uh point around that was no we've actually seen multiple rmts that have earned almost the same amount as the year before so we don't consider this a valid excuse now we ended up getting approved in the long run but it's just interesting how as we get a larger sample size, you're going to notice more lenders compare you to someone similar in your field. So if you were low, it can't just be because you just took time off now at this point, because a lot of people have proven that you need to have a very clear story and timeline. So you can share that with us. That is extremely important. That's the subjective side of lending. Yes. There's a lot of subjectivity when it comes to self-employed lending that, and that's a great example. Um, and in going into these COVID programs what, from the insured side, we have seen some industries that they have a very reliable story as to why this last year was poor. Uh, and then it is coming back and there, and there is clear proof that it's coming back and they're getting back to normal levels. Like a restaurant owner, as an example, would be a great example. So th- instead of looking at a two-year history, they're allowing us to use a three-year history because of that declining year. Mm-hmm. And then the three-year is actually you know, getting them to where they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some some exceptions there, that there, which has been nice to see through CMHC. They have made some flexibility uh, for these types of individuals. This also makes me think a lot because uh, we talk a lot about pre-approvals and how some people go shopping without getting pre-approved and some people come to us in the middle of the process getting anything declined or, or just maybe they haven't done anything yet and, and looking at it and funny enough, a, a large portion of these people are self-employed, which should never happen. And the reason I think that happens quite a bit is they think exactly to your point, Hey, I made a lot of money last year. I should be able to buy this home. And then they're obviously frustrated to find out that they need, you know, 300 documents and uh, a whole, a large story about what's happened. Um, the pre-approvals with being self-employed are much different than being an employee. It is what it is. Um, typically it's not exactly a you know, a cut and dry situation. There's a lot more coaching. And again, this is just the importance of working with a professional in these cases to at least coach you through the process and help you understand the risks and rewards of the home buying process. So I would suggest that maybe even though you can't get an exact pre-approval, you should be able to get ranges as to where you should fall and have that just be prepared for that because how much would it suck to go out and uh, think you made X amount of dollars and then get declined by the banks and not know about any alternative options? Yeah, it happens all the time. Like people walk into the bank where they've had their business account for years and years and years and they've been declined or they've been you know, given a, a mortgage amount far lower than they would have ever expected. And then they walk out of the bank with their like, 
pride is all hurt and they're they're super down on life and they feel like okay i guess it's not meant to be i guess i guess just got to keep doing what i'm doing and rent or live in the house i live in and that's they just walk out of the door thinking that that it is what it is but you know having access to these different programs like lenders look at self-employed individuals so differently like it is amazing that you know you could walk into you know one big five bank and get you know a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage approval and then walk into another for you know almost double uh, just because of a slight difference in a program yeah and i mean tying that back into COVID, a lot of people and a lot of lenders will qualify someone who's self-employed off of a two-year average right so like a lot of people are coming and saying i got my pre-approval on 2018 2019 but their banker or broker might have forgot to ask how they did for 2020. Mm. Even if you haven't filed yet, lenders need something. A spreadsheet from your accountant, they need invoices, they need something to prove that your income didn't dramatically drop. So that's part of our pre-approval process is just to make sure everything's still in line. And, and that comes back to communication, right? Like uh, throughout the year, if you haven't bought, like if you got pre-approved uh, at the end of one year and you've been shopping, 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 like you need, you are responsible to make sure to touch base with your mortgage professional and let them know about the changes in your income. Like that is definitely something as a employed or self-employed, you should be proactively telling your broker, proactively telling your financing team about these changes, because of course we can't anticipate what your business is doing. You know it better than anyone else. So make sure to be paying attention to that. So just jumping into that, uh, I mean, we've done episodes a little bit about alternative uh, lending and stated income lending and specifically what that looks like. I think we'll dig into that in detail in another lending, but maybe Derek, just touch on this in a, from a broad scale as to what, what is B-side lending and what does that look like and how does that help someone who's self-employed? Yeah, a lot of people cringe when they hear B-side. It's really not that bad. Like these are local banks, Canadian Western Bank, Equitable Bank. Um, very, very common for people who are self-employed or people who have uh, rough credit, essentially. Those are the two most common reasons. And where a B lender can really benefit someone who's self-employed is if you're not qualifying based on your actual personal income, which happens constantly, uh, a B lender could be a really good short-term solution, maybe for a year or two while you work on your income. And they'll actually look at bank statements. They won't even ask for your tax returns. They'll look at 12 months of bank statements. We work with you guys to fill out a, a spreadsheet that includes some expenses and we can state your income at a more reasonable level. And B lenders will actually sign off on that. A lot of times people, we can get clients you know, triple the mortgage qualification, if not more, just based on these programs. So there are extra costs. Obviously, these lenders are taking on greater risk. So you're typically paying about a 1% higher rate uh, and there is a fee involved. But like I said, it's short term. We typically would never put someone into a B-side product without having an exit strategy, which is, you know, if you're not qualifying right now, here's what you need to claim for 2021 and 2022. At that point, we can transition you back to a conventional lender. You know what, though? It if for sure we're all we are always looking for that exit strategy but some clients come to terms with being with a b lender forever just simply because of the amount of tax savings that they're they're having uh, with their accountant continuing to go forward with this aggressive accounting strategy uh, pay a lot less task tax sorry and just be happy living with a b lender for for the rest of their life yeah it's a the cost scenario. Their lives. You're getting married. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cost scenario, really. It's what it comes down to. So if you are someone, again, keep in mind, these are programs that are more than 20% down or more than 20% equity in your home. I think that's, again, key to remember that. So if you are someone with less than 20% down, there is a, uh, I would call it the uh, maybe micro version of that program. Uh, doesn't have quite as much uh, flexibility, but uh, through some of the insurance agencies, which the lenders use, and, uh, if you have at least 10% down, there is 
uh, a what we call stated version where they will consider uh, increasing your income above what you claim, again, depending on how your business do, does. There's a whole lot of parameters that you need to know there. But I mean, I've seen it, for example, where someone claimed, you know, 50 or $60,000 a year over year, and we were able to use, say, 75 or 80 or that sort of thing, depending on how that income looked. It's very subjective. Yeah, it's a much more scaled back program, but definitely can help someone, you know, get to that next level and, and make the purchase happen. Last but not least, you know, if you're self-employed and you're looking at setting yourself up for success, I think we talk about this and we've talked about this and actually we've had episodes about co-applicants and co-signers and what that looks like, but it, it, maybe it's a worthwhile conversation to look into the possibility of if you are getting into a home of setting yourself up with a co-applicant or a co-signer, whether it's your spouse or a family member. Again, we have an entire episode where we can talk about what to look for in a co-applicant. So please uh, check that episode out. I don't know which one it is, but uh, definitely something worth considering because maybe that will make the difference for you if you don't claim enough income and you want to get into the housing market. That's a good point. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Like that, that was a really in-depth episode, but it just, yeah, it, there has been a lot of confusion again with co-signers when it's adding to a self-employed file because you either treat it as a state, if, if we have to state the income, it's either treated as a state income file or it's not. So, um, you know, merging those two applicants together can sometimes cause some confusion depending on who the lender is. So, again, back to people walking into the one institution, getting declined, even with the co-signer, uh, having options, looking at your options is really important when, when it comes to co-signers as well. Yeah. And don't just step back because you've been declined, right? Like get a second opinion. And last but not least, family's usually willing to help. And if it means getting into a property, you know, a year earlier, six months earlier, it can go a very long way. Yeah. So whether you're a real estate agent and you're working on commissions, whether you're uh, someone in the health field, again, recently had this with the RMTs, physiotherapists, this sort of thing, and you're contracted, uh, maybe you have a, a new clothing company or a store that you shared, like all different unique circumstances is again, the importance of working with uh, somebody who knows what they're talking about. So again, the, the, the team here at uh, Thrive Mortgage Co, this is something that we, we help a lot of families with. And if you think that's something that you want to know about, uh, send us a message, reach out to us on our website at thrivemortgage.ca or through the podcast find us on Instagram and be happy to chat with you more. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to leave us a little five-star review and we'll talk to you soon.